Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store. For Lean's Cape Cod, birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By L.L. Bean, inspiring you to get outdoors. LLBean.com. By Celestron, offering binoculars and scopes for birders of all levels. Celestron.com. By Birds and Beans Shade Grown Bird Friendly Coffee. Birdsandbeans.com. And by Chimani. Visiting a national park? Let Chimani guide you. Chimani.com. Good morning. Welcome to our show number 583. Well, the first time I saw this bird. That would be your black-bellied whistling duck. It was in a nature conservancy preserve just outside of Lafayette, Louisiana. It's kind of a slightly crazy-looking bird with feet the color of double-bubble pink chewing gum, a bill that's kind of orangey-pink, and yes, a black belly. Seen this bird a couple of times in different parts of Texas, and if you look at a range map for the bird, you'll see that its U.S. territory is pretty much restricted to Texas... Louisiana, Florida, and southern Arizona. But among the many things that makes bird watching so fascinating is that birds don't feel they have to be restricted by the range maps that humans create for them. Great birder Jeremiah Trimble here in Massachusetts posted this on the local Mass Bird Forum this week. He said, in part, I received a late report of a flock of black-bellied whistling ducks that touched down at a pond in Sandwich on Cape Cod. The sighting appears to have included as many as 10 individuals. And he continues, In the last week or so, there have been a number of flocks of black-bellied whistling ducks in the Northeast, including various sightings in New Jersey and New York and even Ontario. Hopefully, he says, the Cape Cod flock or other flocks will be floating around the state in the coming days and weeks. Keep your eyes peeled. Thank you, Jeremiah Trimble. Black-bellied whistling ducks, they're out there, and if you see one by its double-bubble pink chewing gum feet and orangey-pink bill, you will know it. Hey, we have a bonus prize state on our Mystery Bird Contest today, and the state is Rhode Island. Now, here's the thing. If you get through to our show from that state on our Mystery Bird Contest today, you'll win a special bonus prize, the amazing, incredible Backyard Bird Song Guide from the Cornell Lab of Ornithology. Not only describes range, uh, has descriptions and range maps and gorgeous illustrations of more than 80 bird species, it also lets you play the songs of each bird, as you see it, in the guide. It's put together by our friend, the amazing Don Krudzma, one of the great bird song experts on the planet. So if you're in Rhode Island and you get to us on the show this morning, you'll win that special prize automatically, in addition to other prizes you might win on our Mystery Bird Contest. So get ready to call Ocean Staters. Extra, extra, read all about it. Here are some of the stories and videos we have for you on our Facebook page this week. How the international sensation Pokemon Go can be helpful to wildlife. Yeah, and if you go to this link, by the way, uh, there's there's a whole little sidebar, related links, and one of them says... Australian cops to Pokemon Go fans do not come into our police station looking for a Pikachu. All right, don't say you weren't warned. Why the U.S. government is using drones 
to fire on ferrets with M&Ms. No, seriously. And has this ever happened to you? The strange but true story of an English birder searching the skies for Arctic terns has one land on his head. We have photos. These are pretty amazing stories this week. They're all on our Facebook page. You could probably find those online if you're not a Facebook follower, by the way. Oh. Our Talking Birds blog this week. A lesson in careful tree cutting. How Canadian National Parks personnel avoid destroying birds' nests as they trim or cut down trees along highways. That's on this week's blog. Easily found at Talking Birds. Com. Coming along in a moment, we'll hear more about birding and Pokemon Go, too, along with some other info about another of our amazing national parks on this installment of our Charlotte's Weblog with Charlotte Wasilek, direct from Alberta, Canada, and presented by L.L. Bean, inspiring you to get outdoors. LLBean.com. Alberta by- Good morning, Charlotte. Good morning, Ray. Pokemon Go is the latest craze, and while it's a virtual game, it's getting people outdoors and observing real-life wildlife and nature while they play. If you'd like to read about how birding and Pokemon are similar, Rebecca Rolnick wrote an interesting article several years ago, which you can find on the American Birding Association's Young Birder blog. Now, if you're out searching for Pokemons this week, try looking in a national park. You'll likely find yourself putting down your phone and enjoying the natural beauty around you. One place to explore the wilderness and also celebrate the U.S. National Park System Centennial is the Mississippi National River and Recreational Area, an urban park located in St. Paul, Minnesota, which covers 72 miles of river and provides excellent opportunities for fishing, canoeing, and birding. Be sure to visit the visitor centers that showcase the history and science of the Mississippi River. Visit the Mississippi National River and Rec Area website at nps.gov miss to find more about this great park and everykidnapark.gov for more information and to print your free park pass. That's all for this week, Ray. I'll talk to you next time. Thanks, Charlotte. Here's one more web address worth checking out for sure. It's Charlotte's blog, prairiebirder.com. Hey, have you ever been to the Amazon rainforest? Well, our Talking Birds executive producer, Mark Duffield, has, back in his wild youth, he and his friend Joe McKenzie, traced an enormously long route through the Amazon River Basin, through several South American countries. And there, well, they lived to tell about it. They didn't want to tell about it right away. They waited a few years, but they're going to do it this Friday evening at L.L. Bean's flagship store in Freeport, Maine, part of their Outdoors Discovery Series lectures. And they put together an amazing program with video and photos and some tall tales, well, true tales from the Amazon rainforest. So uh, that's this Friday evening, 7 o'clock, at L.L. Bean's flagship store in Freeport, Maine. Don't miss it. Friday. 7 p.m., L.L. Bean, Freeport, Maine. Still to come on our show today, we'll revisit one of our favorite interviews of the past 
year or so. This one from last November. It's with the amazing globetrotting photographer Garrett Vinn. And closer to home, we'll get the lowdown on the right way to provide bathing and drinking opportunities for your backyard birds with our man Mike O'Connor, who knows a thing or two about bird baths. And in just a moment, we'll meet a bird with a wingspan that could match that of an NBA power forward. It's today's Talking Birds, featured feathered friend. Talking Birds is made possible in part by Celestron, a leading optics company offering binoculars and spotting scopes for birders of all levels. Celestron is dedicated to education and bird conservation and proudly supports many nonprofit organizations that share the same commitment. Celestron says, We care about birds and nature in our backyard as well as yours. Enhance your view with Celestron. Visit Celestron.com and discover more. In 1738, English naturalist Eliezer Albin named today's featured feathered friend for a type of sleek ship often used for piracy. For piracy is what this bird is all about. It's a bird whose rakish lines and high-speed maneuvers gave it its previous name, the man-of-war bird. It's an agile flyer for whom stealing food from other birds is a well-developed specialty. The bird is Regatta Magnificence, the magnificent frigate bird. It's an ocean-dwelling species, but one that almost never lands on the water, spending days and nights on the wing, a behavior it's believed to share with only one other bird, the common swift of Eurasia and Southern Africa. In a spectacular courtship display, male magnificent frigate birds gather in groups of varying size, their bright red throat sacs inflated, clattering their bills, waving their heads back and forth, quivering their wings, and calling to females flying overhead. The magnificent frigate bird is the largest of five worldwide frigate bird species. It's more than three feet long with a wingspan of seven feet. Unlike other seabirds, male and female frigate birds look strikingly different from one another. The males are all black, save for that red throat sac. While females, also mostly black, have a white breast and lower neck sides, a brown band on the wings, and a blue eye ring. Magnificent frigate birds are found in many parts of the tropical Atlantic, breeding in colonies in Florida, the Caribbean and Cape Verde Islands, as well as on the Pacific coast of the Americas, from Mexico to Ecuador, using their spectacular speed and maneuverability, along with a long, hooked bill, to practice their piracy. The Pirate of the Ocean, Fregata Magnificence, the Magnificent Frigate Bird. Today's Talking Birds featured Feathered Friend. Talking Birds is sponsored in part by Chimani, providing free outdoor mobile app travel guides. To plan and navigate your journey to more than 400 national parks, monuments, and historic sites. From Acadia to Zion, go to Chimani.com. That's C-H-I-M-A-N-I.com to download your free app today. Garrett Venn is a Seattle-based photographer and dedicated conservationist whose work has been featured in publications like National Geographic, Audubon, Living Bird, BBC Wildlife, Natural History, National Wildlife, and the New York Times, to name a few. And he has provided the photography and more 
for a wonderful new book called The Living Bird, 100 Years of Listening to Nature. And he joins us now from Seattle here on Talking Birds. Good uh, early morning, Garrett. Good morning, Ray. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Thanks for being with us. I have this beautiful book in front of me right now. And the 100 years, Garrett, in the subtitle is not uh, not a random number. Tell us about its significance, if, if you will. No? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I work for the Cornell Lab of Ornithology. Um, I'm a producer there, photographer, and the uh, 100-year anniversary of the Cornell Lab is this year. It was founded 100 years ago by Arthur Allen at Cornell University, and through that time has, you know, evolved from a, a one-man shop in the, the attic of the entomology lab at Cornell, where he just pasted up a sign that said Lab of Ornithology, to one of the, one of the if, not, if not the uh, leading institution in the world that communicates about birds, studies birds, and does a whole host of other things. I've been to the uh, Johnson Center there at Cornell. Hope to be getting back there to broadcast our show again uh, before long. But what a wonderful place uh, Cornell Lab is to visit. And, of course, uh, checking out the Macaulay Library of Nature Sounds there is a pretty incredible experience. Yep, it's a wonderful collection. It's the the largest collection of uh, wildlife recordings in the world. Um, And just a a treasure trove of, of bird vocalization recordings. And also... These days, uh, video as well, and uh, many other things. Well, getting back to the book here, at first glance, this looks like a coffee table book. That incredible tufted puffin on the cover there, the the uh, jacket. But it's really much more than that, thanks to some marvelous essays by uh, some pretty um, esteemed authors like Barbara Kingsolver and Scott Widensall, and some text by you as well in your six-page flamingo photo story. Tell us about that that story, because all those amazing pictures, you must have spent some time there in Flamingo territory. <laughs> yep. Uh, so, yeah, there's there's uh, three kind of in-the-field essays mixed in with these, mm-hmm. these amazing essays by some of these authors you just mentioned. And uh, in these in-the-field essays, I write a bit about what it's like to be in some of these places where I go to, to photograph and film and record birds. And the one you're speaking about is uh, I've been spending good amount of time down in the Yucatan in Mexico, filming and photographing uh, the flamingos there that breed there. Uh, I think there are 17,000 chicks in the, born in the colony the year that I was shooting there a couple of years ago. Um, so it's an amazing sight, and I tried to capture a little bit of it in my words, but I'm more of a photographer than a writer, so hopefully the pictures <laughs> communicate a little bit more about just what it's like to be there, but... Um, Amazing place to go. And the, birds. and the pictures uh, certainly do speak for themselves, including that one uh, of the uh, the flamingo nests. That is, uh, if if you didn't know what those were when you encountered them, you might have thought you'd decamped and uh, found yourself on another planet. Yes, that's. I actually really like that photo. Uh, it's a, a photo of a the flamingo colony when there's no flamingos in it, and all you see are just these thousands of mud pedestal nests poking up out of the water, creating this design in the foreground and then it's sort of a beautiful sunset background and just beautiful tropical colors with the blue water and uh, the, the silhouettes of all of these nest pedestals that the, uh, the flamingos mm-hmm. lay their eggs on. 
Garrett, what are the most important attributes of being a, a good nature photographer, or in your case, a great nature photographer? And I know there are probably many, and I'm guessing that patience uh, must be near the top of the list. Am I right? Yeah, patience is definitely important and being able to, to put up with being uncomfortable for long periods of time as well. But I think probably the most important thing is to really be a good naturalist, really know the birds or wildlife. Um, the more you watch and learn and read about birds and, and other wildlife species and their behavior, um, their distributions, their yearly cycles, the more uh, the more you understand them, the better photographs you can make and, and the more chances you have to be in the right places at the right time. Mm-hmm. But I think really knowing birds and also knowing birds so that you understand their behavior and really understand what is acceptable uh, behavior around birds. Mm-hmm. Um, in this day and age, there's there's all sorts of people running around with cameras, as, as, as many of your listeners probably know, who, who don't have a sensitivity and not out of... Uh, not being sensitive people, but perhaps just out of ignorance about what's what birds can handle and what they can't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's not always always the uh, easiest relationship between birders and photographers. I think that's what I understand. So I try to stay away from all of them. <laughs> <laughs> I generally search and look for places where I can just work on my own and uh, mm-hmm. uh, do my thing. One of our listeners has sent in a question, uh, Garrett. What are some of your favorite bird photography hotspots in America? Well, um, I love shooting in the Arctic. So I don't know if that's a hot spot, but that's one <laughs> of my go-to spot. places, various places. <laughs> but for someone who's uh, just learning photography or uh, wants to improve their skill and learn about shooting, shooting birds, I think there are many places in Florida that are wonderful, mm-hmm. both because... Um, there's so many birds there, but so many of them are habituated to people. So you can really practice on a number of different species up close without disturbing the birds. And, uh, of course, you've got some great weather, which is nice, and, and a lot of very cool birds down there. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of places in Florida, like the Everglades or Corkscrew Swamp or Mayaka River State Park or uh, um, Sanibel Island. Mm-hmm. Uh, lots of places in Florida that are really great for, for bird photography. You have some wonderful little features in the book of profiles. You profile a researcher and a sound recordist and a citizen scientist. And I, and I love the way the book concludes with a section called The Future of Birds is in Our Hands. And it really does have a lot to do with citizen science, doesn't it? And the way we all have to contribute to preserving the health of the planet. It does. And, you know, that's part of what the Cornell Lab has done from the very beginning is that it's not only just been a place for excellence in science, but it's been a place that's been about communicating with the public and, and not just communicating outward to the public, but having the public participate in the scientific process. And mm-hmm. at no time is that more um, apparent than it is now, especially with some of our citizen science programs like uh, eBird, mm-hmm. where, you know, you have, I'm sure many of your listeners use eBird, but you have observers all over the world reporting their, their bird observations and at this time, millions of bird observations are coming in every day to eBird. And we're, we're really just at the, the cusp of being able to, to look at bird distributions and movements in real time. And by extension of that, uh, able to look at the underlying ecological health of the landscapes and ecological systems that, that they depend on 
and ultimately we depend on. Mm-hmm. So literally, uh, amateurs in in um, partnership with the lab are revolutionizing some of the ways that we're able to look at the environment and at bird populations. Garrett Vinn is an acclaimed Seattle-based photographer and creator of the photographs for the marvelous new book, The Living Bird, 100 Years Listening to Nature. Thanks so much, Garrett, and good luck with the book. Thanks, Ray. My pleasure. Up here next on Talking Birds, it's our Mystery Bird Contest in just one minute. There's a crisis facing us today that reaches far beyond borders or boundaries. It's our planet, and it's in trouble. Scientists estimate that climate change will increasingly alter our planet, and many of our land and water resources will be at risk. Without them, we could lose many of the natural habitats that support life on Earth. Not only will numerous plant and animal species disappear, but the quality of life for all of us will never be the same. What scientists haven't calculated is the power of the human will to work together to save the future of our natural world and all of its inhabitants. If you're ready to make a difference that lasts, to help protect nature and preserve life, visit the Nature Conservancy at nature.org today. That's nature.org today. Our Mystery Bird Contest, you're eligible to win if you haven't been a winner here on Talking Birds in the past six months. Don't forget, you can hear our Saw show live from anywhere on the planet. TalkingBirds.com will show you how to do it. It's really easy. You can also search for Talking Birds in iTunes or Google Play. And uh, if you want to listen to our podcasts and they're not in your favorite podcasting app, please let us know and we'll get somebody to figure out how to make that happen for you. Our bonus state, Rhode Island today. Automatically you'll win that beautiful Cornell Lab Backyard Bird Song Guide if you call in on our Mystery Bird Contest. The number to call is 781-837-4900. Here is the sound of our Mystery Bird. Our prize is the Droll Yankees' all-new cutest chickadee feeder with a height-adjustable dome and a lifetime warranty against squirrel damage and another bonus prize for anybody who calls in a 12-ounce bag of Birds and Beans shade-grown bird-friendly coffee. That is if you win the Mystery Bird Contest on that one for those two prizes there. Yeah, 781-837-4900. Our Mystery Bird is a small, long-winged, stocky songbird with a small bill, pale throat, square tail, orange rump, and dark blue coloring on its crown and back. Among the uh, structures in which our bird nests are silos, bridges, culverts, caves, and sinkholes. Our bird breeds in the southern U.S. and northern South America and winters in Mexico and the Caribbean. Tell us what it is or take your guess. No correct answer means a drawing will determine our winner. 781-837-4900 is the number to call. Meanwhile... We're going to find out some stuff about your backyard bird feeding with our man, Mike O'Connor. It's Let's Ask Mike live in just one minute. I'm Ray Brown, and I'm a coffee lover. And the brand that I drink is Birds and Beans, the only brand that sells only bird-friendly coffee, grown in a way that saves the forest that migratory birds depend on for survival. Birds and Beans carries the certification of the Smithsonian Migratory Bird Center, the most stringent shade-grown certification in the world. Plus, it's USDA organic certified and fair trade certified so farmers get fair compensation. Of course, it's important to note that Birds and Beans coffee tastes great. 
and it's available in your choice of roasts, from American Red Start Light Roast to Deep and Dark Scarlet Tanager French Roast. Decaf, too. If you care about saving the tropical forests on which so many of our birds depend, and if you love great coffee, there's just one choice, birds and beans. Shade-grown, bird-friendly coffee. It's my choice, and I really hope you'll make it yours. Get the whole Birds and Beans story, including where to buy it, at birdsandbeans.com. That's birdsandbeans.com. Hey, we're about to learn why your backyard bird sanctuary just isn't complete without a bathing component, a bird bath, that is. Here to explain that and also to tell us whether bird bath is one word or two is Mike O'Connor from the Bird Watchers General Store, Orleans, Cape Cod. Massachusetts. Good morning, Mike. USA. <laughs> oh, forgot that. Sorry. Let me make a note. Uh, USA. Got it. All right. Hey, good morning, oh, Ray. Yeah, we're morning. talking um, this hot weather, this this increasingly warm and dry summer, at least on the Cape. Is, uh, yeah, a lot of people get more birds than they might even add a feeder if they had put out a bird bath. Mm. Um, the, the trouble is my customers love bird baths that are fairly deep, maybe like six inches deep, mm. and that are glazed mm. or maybe even glass because Ooh. they're prettier yeah. and they're easy to clean. Yeah. And we sell a lot of those, and we can't talk people out of them because the birds hate those kinds of yeah. bird baths. Yeah. Maybe they're that's too, why they, yeah, they don't really want birds on there. They just, <laughs> right? they, really? No, yeah. honest to God, they, they want to look, you know, yeah. and when they, you know, and it's not my job to uh, talk, totally talk them out of it. I only can make suggestions. Yeah. And in, in reality, if it's too deep, you know, they want them deep because, well, we don't have to change them as much. But you have to change them often. The birds make them dirty anyways. Uh, and if they're too, if they're slippery, the birds can't grab them. And if they're too deep, the little birds, you know, maybe a duck will land in there, but you can't get a chickadee or a goldfinch or a titmouse to land in the, the bo- bottom of a six-inch birdbath. It's just too deep for them. Yeah. So I suggest, and nobody really likes to hear it, but a shallow bird bath made out of maybe cement or stone or something mm-hmm. with a rough texture, yeah. maybe as deep as two inches, and, and that's it. And it's not necessarily sexy, but the birds really like it. My bird bath has, I'm filling it all the time. Mm-hmm. I've got cat birds, I've got chickadees, I've got titmice, I've got house finches, i got orioles, i got cardinals. Wow. It's busy all the time, and it's nothing special. And when you're in the market for a bird bath, look for something that's, got a rough texture and then it's fairly shallow maybe just a couple inches and and, you know and then maybe if you want a glitzy one for the garden buy that but don't expect many birds to use it all right but that's good advice but you didn't tell us whether bird bath is one word or two yeah i know and it it totally is it totally is yeah (laughs) (laughs) thanks for the definitive word on that all right mike thank you we'll talk to you next week you got it right all right our man mike o'connor from the legendary bird watchers general store orleans cape cod massachusetts usa meanwhile we're back here at the mystery bird contest that's the mystery bird we're trying to identify a small long winged stocky songbird with a small bill pale throat square tail orange rump and dark blue black coloring on its crown and back it nests in silo under uh, silos and bridges culverts, caves, and sinkholes, mostly uh, in the southern U.S., northern South America, wintering in Mexico and the Caribbean. What is it? 781-837-4900. I think, uh, let's see. Who's first there? Tim Susan in Newton, Massachusetts. Good morning, Susan. Hi, good morning. Good morning. Uh, is this that is Jeff in Alston. Oh, it's Jeff in Alston instead of Susan in Newton. What do you say, Jeff? Mystery bird. 
I'm going to say a chimney swi- uh, sweep. Ch- chimney sweep. <laughs> chimney sweep. <laughs> I like that. We're going to have to make that a, a new bird, a chimney sweep. A chimney swift, you're saying uh, it's a good guess, uh, Jeff, but not exactly what we are looking for here. Okay. Try next week. All right. Thanks. Uh, we Bye-bye. have. I think we have Susan in Newton. Am I right? Okay. Good morning, yes. Susan. Hi. Good morning. Good How morning. are you? I'm well. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Mystery bird, Susan? Um, a barn swallow? Wow. Top quality guess. I'll tell you what, Susan, if nobody gets the right answer, you could be our winner because that's very close, and if nobody gets closer... I think I know, then. It's mm-hmm. the cliff swallow. I can't. I can't. I, I, oh, you I, can't. I, I can't take a second guess. Can't take a second. Okay. <laughs> we don't mean to second guess you, but I you tried. know how it is. <laughs> Thank you, Susan. Okay. Bill is uh, down there in Rhode Island. Good morning, Bill. Are you Great. there? Hey, Bill. Good morning. Hey, you're morning. calling from Rhode Island. That's our bonus state. That means you you get that beautiful um, uh, Cornell Lab birdsong uh, guide. You're going to love that. Great. Thanks very much. How about on a mystery bird then, uh, Bill? I was going to guess an orange-crowned warbler, but I think the orange is on the wrong end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not an orange-crowned warbler, but uh, stay on the line anyway, Bill, because we want to send you that uh, that special bonus prize since you call from Rhode Island. All right, thanks very much. Okay, thanks, Bill. Hey, we're going to have to flip the cards, and I think we're going to declare Susan our winner because she was the closest thing. Susan, if you're still on the line, great. If not, call us back. We can get you that feeder. The answer is the cave swallow. The cave swallow was our mystery bird. We are out of time. Executive producer Mark Duffield, associate producer Debbie Bleacher, engineer Jesse Wilkins. I'm Ray Brown. See you next week. Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store. For Lean's Cape Cod. By L.L. Bean. Inspiring you to get outdoors. By Celestron, offering binoculars and scopes for birders of all levels. By Birds and Beans shade-grown, bird-friendly coffee. Birdsandbeans.com And by Chimani. Visiting a national park? Let Chimani guide you. Chimani.com